Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. in the middle of a series right now called Anticipating More, Anticipating More. And uh, what we're doing is, uh, I'm kind of following up on last week a little bit. So open up your app. If you have the app, go ahead and get your app open. If you don't have the app, you can go to the App Store or to Google Play Store. You can pick it up there. But open up your app, or maybe you've got the hard copy of the notes from one of the ushers when you walked in. If you don't have it, raise your hand. We'll give it to you. I want you to make sure you walk with some notes. There's some things that I believe will be an encouragement for you this week, whatever you're going into, whatever you're going to face, there's some things I want you to walk with, uh, really important stuff that I'm going to ask you to consider this week. Um, so uh, this, this morning I'm going to talk to you about this. Misplaced distrust. D- did you hear that? Misplaced distrust. Uh, l- last week I had shared about the power of expectation. How, how many of you here last week you heard that message, the power of expectation? And i got to tell you something happened last week that I didn't foresee regarding disappointment. Anybody remember that last week? Disappointment, right? I believe that I drudged up some considerable pain. And as I was preaching, you cannot imagine the difficulty my ADHD was having, right? Because there were words coming out of my mouth, but my thoughts were like, whoa, what is just happening right here? Because I could feel uh, a lot of hurting souls last weekend. So if you were here last weekend, uh, I, I don't know if, if that was you or not, but, but I could feel it in the room, and there was a shift in the room. You could feel just like a, a considerable, again, just it's a moment, and I was like, whoa, something just happened. And I realized that I needed to follow up on it, so I had a teaching for today. I kind of tossed that to the side and rewrote this on Tuesday. I said, man, we got we to gotta go back into this issue. So if you don't want to deal with the disappointments that were brought up last week, now's the time to hit the door. Cause, uh, because because I, I know with me, it's like, man, I don't want to deal with a disappointment, right? But, uh, but I really felt like, man, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to go back into that. I want you to go back into that. I want to speak some healing into some of, some of your souls this morning. So let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for the time to gather this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we have a Bible that speaks of your heart for us. And I ask that we would encounter uh, the peace of your presence in the midst of all that goes on. I, I pray that this morning we would have just a moment where we'd say, wait a minute, that's the thing that I'm looking for. And then uh, while I'm praying, I pray for uh, Palmdale Foursquare uh, this last week. Uh, Pat, uh, Jan Spencer, who some of you know is a community group leader here, he is now preaching at Palmdale Foursquare because their pastor had a heart attack. So I'm going to skip, no offense, Kelly O'Connell. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pray for the uh, St. Stephen's Episcopal. We're going to pray for Palmdale Foursquare. Jan Spencer, who's part of our congregation, is preaching out there this morning because their pastor had a heart attack. So I want to pray for them. Father, I pray for Palmdale Foursquare. Pastor Jan is there and he is leading a congregation. Over 40 years of ministry experience, there is a shepherd who loves 
people. And so much of it happened in the AV. I pray this morning that as he brings words uh, to Palmdale Foursquare because their pastor had that heart attack and is unable to take the pulpit, I pray that he would have words of encouragement words of strengthening. I pray that, that that congregation this morning, rather than feel kind of like, what's going to happen to us because our pastor can't take the pulpit now, there would not be worry, there would not be uh, anxiety, but I pray that as Jan speaks your truth to this congregation, they would be encouraged, they would lift up their eyes, and they would, and they would walk with hope that you have something for them. In Jesus' name, let it be so. And Kelly O'Connell and St. Stephen's, they'll just know that we love them. So, okay. <laughs> but I, w- I really wanted to pray for the church. We pray for the church every weekend. Uh, so last Sunday, uh, again, I, I started a sermon uh, that I, I just didn't foresee what was going to happen to it. But I started talking about disappointment. And disappointment is the result of failed expectations. And I've, I've said this before. So this is the first of your blanks. I, wanna, I just want to bring you that definition. So we start, we start on the same page. The disappointment is the dissatisfaction that we feel when the thing that we hoped for, the thing that we desired, the thing that we were expecting to happen didn't. All of us, if you're made of the stuff I am, which is you, right? We're all made of the same stuff here. We're all dealing with disappointment. All of us. To varying levels, we have disappointment in our lives. And we have hopes, we have desires, we have expectations. And when those things don't happen, it's like, oh man, I really thought this was going to happen. We have all had that person in our life who disappoints us over and over again. Go ahead, you can picture that person in your mind, it's not a bad thing, it's okay. But you know what it is? We learn not to trust them. We learn not to trust them. I mean, it's, they're, not, they're really nice, but it's like, man, they're always late. It's like they say, okay, we'll, we'll meet you there. We'll meet at 6 o'clock, and we'll head over to the such and such. And you're like, no, you're not. You're going to be there at 630 because that's what you do. You didn't say it, but you said it. You, you know what I'm, does anybody have that friend? That friend who, who thinks it's cute, they have the license plate frames, it's always late but worth the wait. I'm like. That's, that's an excuse for lazy. Stop. Take that license plate frame off. Don't do that. Be on time. Okay? Right? Listen, just don't be late. Right? Or we have those friends that are just flaky. Oh, you know, I'll come over. I'll help you work in the backyard. I'll remove all those rocks with you. I have a friend who has a little backhoe. We can do that. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, that'd be great. They're not going to do that. I, you know, I know. And you, know, and you knew, you even said, they're going to call me like Wednesday, and they're going to go, oh, dude, you know, something came up and I couldn't get a hold of my brother. And they called on Tuesday and said, oh, dude, something came up and I can't get a hold of my. You're like, yeah, I knew. And so we begin to hear the empty promises of people in our lives that have brought that kind of disappointment. And our response toward those people is that we write them off. At best, not to be trusted. But at worst, don't believe anything they say. Yeah, I hear them, but yeah. Our connection with these people is eventually reduced to where we'll associate with them, but we're not really friends. It's like, yeah, hey, how's it going? But blah, blah, blah. I know you. I've lived through you disappointing me. All your empty promises. Oh, I promise I'll do this. Oh, I'll get that done for you. Oh, I'm going to take care of that. Oh, I'll be there. All the-. And we're like, no, you won't. And we move our connection with them from a relational connection to a transactional connection. Okay, hey, how's it going? Good, good to see you. Later, bye. 
And, and what happens is we can acknowledge or interact with them, but we're not going to invest with them. I just know, it's no, there's no return on investment. I'm not even going to deal with these people. But here's my question. What do you do, what do we do when the disappointment's source isn't a husband or a wife or a child? It's not a friend or a parent, a sibling, a boss, a coworker. It's not a neighbor. It's not even a life circumstance. What do we do when God seems to be the source of our disappointment? What do you do with that? What do we do when God somehow fails to satisfy our hopes or doesn't live up to our expectations and disappointment follows? Disappointment with God isn't necessarily wrong or sinful, but it is part of the human condition because we have a very, it's a very easy connection to say, I, I was expecting this and he didn't do this thing for me. I want to talk about that this morning because when God doesn't perform in the manner that we think he should, we become disillusioned with him and we are dissatisfied in his performance in our lives. And this can lead to a wavering faith in God, especially in his goodness or in his authority. We go, yeah, nah, I don't believe that anymore. And when God doesn't act, where, how, and when we think he should act, we know that it's not because he's unable to do so, but because he's choosing not to do so. And that is disappointing. I have joined with many of our congregation in these first 21 days. We are praying and fasting for the first three weeks of this month. A lot of people are fasting from all kinds of things, from, from coffee and caffeine to sugar to meat to social media. I mean, people have chosen all kinds of things. And we are praying, God, would you bring healing to us as a congregation, to your people, to the people of God, physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing. We're praying for all kinds of things. And I've joined with a lot of you, and we've been praying. Well, this last Tuesday, I got an email as part of that prayer and fasting thing. I don't know how many of you saw it. A guy named Ted Roberts was the devotion on Tuesday. And he asked us this question. This is in your notes, so get ready. You can fill it in. Ted, Ted Roberts asked this question. What is God preventing in his wisdom that he could have easily solved with his power? And then I read, I was like, I had to wrestle with that. And Ted Roberts said this, I was like, man. And then he went on and he pointed out that, that weaning a child, he brought up this example, he says, you know, weaning a child is a process of sequential disappointments until that child is brought to maturity. Listen to what he said. Weaning a child is a series of, it's a process of sequential disappointments until the child is brought to a place of maturity where they go, apparently I'm not going to get breastfed anymore. But leading up to that point is like, come on, I, I want, I, and the crying, but you're, you're, I'm, I'm weaning this child. Well, you ever felt like God was weaning you on something? You ever felt like there was just this thing that was like, you don't need that anymore. I don't, I don't want that in your life. And the situations in our lives 
that come up, they, they might seem arbitrary or capricious on God's part, just random, right? But I'm here to tell you the exact opposite is true. I, I need you to hear that this morning. God chooses to act or not to act according to his perfect and holy will in order to bring about his righteous purposes. God wants something in and through us. He says, I've got something. I have a plan for your life. But the question then comes, well, how could my suffering have anything to do with the purposes of God in my life? How could, how could my kids' suffering, how could the, my grandma's suffering, how could that have anything to do with God's purposes? And I, and I just say, ask Jesus what suffering has to do with God's purposes. <laughs> I'm like... I don't, I don't know where to file it. Because I go, well, okay, that's okay for Jesus, but not for me. Nothing happens that is out of God's plan. No, listen to me. Nothing happens that is out of God's plan for our lives. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. But it is part of God's plan for your life. And you're like, well, then I don't want to know his plan. So I didn't sign up for this. Now, please note that I said this. I said it's part of his plan. I didn't say that he was in control of it. And I want to deal with that today. Because a lot of people think God is in control of our lives. And once again, nothing could be farther from the truth. You are in control of your life. And listen to this. And sometimes others are in control of your life. Don't you hate that? It's like, I, I, you know, I want control, I, uh, for me, I want to control my life. And if you let me, I'd like to control yours too. That's sin, folks. That's, that's what's inside of us. The Bible says that's the sin nature. I like to be in control of my life. I like to tell me what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And, and, and you know what? If you give, me a, you give me a slight opening, I will get in. I'll start controlling you too. Because it's me. Because we're made of the same stuff. And you may say, that's not me. <laughs> You're even more deceived than you think. We, we, got our, we got this problem. All of us do. But in Isaiah chapter 46, open your Bibles, would you please? Just turn, turn to the center of your Bible and then kind of flip to the left. You'll find Isaiah. He's one of the major prophets. Major just means he wrote a lot. Okay, he kicks it off, and then you get Jeremiah, and you get Daniel. You get a whole bunch of major prophets in here. Then we get to the minor prophets. They wrote little small books like Hosea and Habakkuk. You're like, Habakkuk? There's a book called Habakkuk? Yeah, there is. Okay. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 46. There are times that God chooses to let us know his plans and times when he doesn't. And Isaiah chapter 46, verses 10 and 11, here's what it says. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. God speaking. Everything I plan will come to pass. For I do whatever I wish. I can call a swift bird of prey from the east. I can call a leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I've said what I will do and I'm going to do it. He's like, whoa, you are very clear there. God has a plan. Right? And clearly he's in control. He can make things happen. So, well, how come he doesn't always make things happen? I mean, right here, even birds do what he tells them to do, right? They're like, okay. Sometimes we understand what God's doing. And sometimes we don't understand what God's doing. 
Just a few pages over in Isaiah 55, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Again, God's speaking. He says, you know what? My ways are higher than your ways. (laughs) My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't think like you do. I don't function like you do. So high are my thoughts and my ways above your thoughts and your ways. It's like the heavens above the earth. That's how far apart the way we think is. We're just not on the same page. But you know what? You could. I I could get you to that page. I'd like to get you to that page. One thing that we do know for sure, if we belong to him, that whatever he's doing is being done for our benefit, whether we understand it or not. God has a good plan for us. It is a good plan. Well, I don't like how we're getting to that good plan. Can we change up the current? Because I ain't into what's happening right here. I'm into the end result. I'm all about the good plan, but this part of the plan stinks. So let me take control. God, you get off the throne. I'll hop on, take a little movement here, arrange a few things, get my life back in order, because you ain't doing it. And God says, oh, listen, you are in complete control of your life. Romans 8, 28 says that, and, and you need, we need to mark this in our brains. We need to somehow get it on a post-it note and stick it on our dashboard and write another post-it and put it on our computer and write another post-it and put it on the mirror in the bathroom and another post-it and put it on the dresser and another post-it and put it on your cubicle. You need to get this up everywhere. Because we gotta, somehow we've got to get this into our brain. We've got to know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Here it comes, though. There's a caveat here. Of those who love God and are called according. Here it comes again. You're not going to like this. His purposes for them. And we say, Lord, I want your purposes in my life. Well, you're going to have to suffer a little bit. Okay, I don't want your purposes in my life. According to his purposes for them. I love you, God. I just, I'm not interested in your purposes in my life. Because I don't like the way you deal. And, and I'm, here to, I'm here to challenge that thinking. Is it God that's dealing? Or, it, listen to me, is it life that's dealing? Is, is it just life has done what life does? I mean, at one point Jesus said, oh, hey, listen, by the way, in this life you will have trouble. I don't know where. It's somewhere, and I want to find out, because a lot of people like to quote this one. Well, God's going to do whatever I ask him to. And when I come to Jesus, my life's going to be awesome. I'm like, show me that scripture, because I am so interested in that promise. (laughs) But I have looked, and I can't find it. But something, somebody says, oh, this bad stuff in my life isn't supposed to be happening. Because God loves me, and he only does good things for me. I'm like, I don't know where that's located. Is that past the maps? Because all I got, I got a big black page. They must have marked it out like FBI got in there, CIA. Like, you can't read that part. You know, I'm like, my Bible didn't have it. Because I don't know where, I don't know where that promise is coming from. Jesus said this, you will have troubles. Oh, really? This is your next blank. If we want to avoid disappointment with God, we're going to have to align our will with his. If you want to avoid disappointment, align your will with his. Now listen, here's a big thing, and we need to hear this. 
Prayer, we have, we, have mis, we have misappropriated prayer because we believe that prayer is about making our requests so that God will do what we want him to do. Again, that's, you know where that promise is, right back on the black part there. When you pray, God has to do what you ask him. It's right under some here, right? I want, I want you to hear this. Prayer is not, this is part of it. It's not so much about asking God for things, listen, as it is to getting my heart in the right alignment so that I am willing to accept whatever comes my way. That's why I'm having this conversation. God, listen, I don't like what's going on, but whatever you got going on, I'm, I, I want to go to your purposes. I want to I I absorb this thing in my life so that your purposes for my life are happening. But most of us are going to prayer going, well, God has to do this, and I want him to do that, and I want him to do this. And I ask God, you know, I've been asking for a year for God to do this, and why hasn't he done it yet? Because somewhere we got, we got in here and says, God has to do what we ask him for. Listen, <laughs> there are times the, the, only, the only thing worse than answered prayer, or rather unanswered prayer is answered prayer. <laughs> the only thing worse than unanswered prayer is when he answers our prayer. It's like, oh, man, I shouldn't ask for that. He gave it to me. Oh, man. we got to learn to submit to his will in all things. You know what? I don't know why this is in my life, but, Lord, you've got a purpose. Hear that word. You have a purpose for this being in my life. I don't like it. Doesn't mean i got to like it. It's not like, well, the Lord's doing terrible things. Thank you, Lord. He doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say, praise the Lord when bad things happen. It says, praise the Lord in all things. Not praise the Lord for all things, right? Oh, Lord, thank you for this flat tire. Lord, thank you for, you know, the bank withholding my paycheck and putting somebody else's pay in somebody else's account and all my checks. Bound. Thank you, Lord. I'm not thanking him for those things. I'm thanking him in those things. Very big difference. And when we align our will with his, it keeps us from being disappointed with God. It also helps us not grumble and complain about the stuff that's going on in our lives. The Israelites are a great example of this happening. They're griping, complaining, questioning God on all kinds of occasions, right? Like, how come God doesn't do for us? Uh, Red Sea, did you guys remember the Red Sea? Yeah, well, that was then, this is now, right? And they're like, uh, how come God doesn't, you, you, how come he's not taking care of us? Uh, the manna, remember, he feeds you like every day. Yeah, well... That was yesterday morning. How about this morning? Yeah, he did it again. Right. I mean, it's these moments, right? God provides the man of the quail in the wilderness. The glory of the Lord follows him. The pillar of fire, the pillar of the cloud. It's like, Lord's with him, but it's like, watch this. It's not the way I want him to be with me. And that's a big difference. Despite God's continual faithfulness to his people, they grumble. They're disappointed with God in the desert because they didn't act, because he didn't act the way they thought he should. Do you hear that? God's not doing things the way I think he should. And if you give me just five minutes to run the universe, I could fix a few things for you, Lord. Just give me a shot. Scoot over on the throne. There's room for me up there. Rather than submitting to his will and trusting him, they're in this constant state of frustration and turmoil. Confusion. So what does it look like to align 
our will with his will. What does, that, what does, exa- what does that exactly look like? If I'm going to align my will with God's will for my life, for his purposes, what does it look like? Jesus said it best for us, gave it great example of what does it look like to align our will. In Luke twenty two forty two, 42, he said it very simply, I want your will to be done, not mine. There's the alignment. I want whatever you want. And if you're going to use this situation that I can't stand, that I hate, that I, I'm, I just hate the situation, you're going to use that? to bring about your purposes in my life? And I say, yes. And that's where we find the contentment that I was talking about last week. I mentioned Paul sitting in a, in a jail in Philippians, right? We mentioned this, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says this, not that I was ever in need. Remember, he's sitting in a jail cell. Remember this? He's in the dungeon. He's awaiting his death, right? I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little. I don't need anything. Mm, I beg to differ. But Paul says, no, I'm good. I've learned to be content. That's where we find the contentment when we align my will and I go, Lord, you're accomplishing something here I can't see. I I don't know what it is, but you're doing something. Paul learned to be content with whatever God sent his way. He trusted, he submitted to the Lord. He said, this is God's will. In in 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at this. Man, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this. Verses 6 through 8. He says, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything out when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. My problem is I like to define that word enough. Let me bring my definition to the table. Oh, I hear you, Paul. But let me tell you what enough means. So he said, no, I have enough. I have enough. See, Paul's convinced that a holy, that a righteous, that a perfect, loving, and merciful God works all things together for his good. For his good. Because that's what he promised. I'm working for your good. I'm, I'm for you. Nothing is outside of God's plan for good in our lives. I I need you to hear this. I'm going to say it again. Nothing is outside of God's plan for good in our lives. That's that half. Hey, nothing is outside of God's plan for good in our lives. You, You need to hear this. I got good things. I know you don't understand it. I know you don't get it, but I'm using this. I'm shaping you. I'm growing you. I'm maturing you. And this disappointment is part of it. Yeah, but I don't like it. When we see God in that light, that he's about my good, we can't possibly be disappointed with him. Rather, we surrender and submit, knowing that his perfect will He's going to bring it all about. He's going to bring something to pass in our lives that will be for our good and for his glory. 
So where does that leave us then? It leaves us in the place that I arrived last Sunday night after I brought that message about expectation. And I began to pray, again, because you just can't imagine as, as a pastor how I, can, how I can speak and think totally radically different thoughts as words are coming out of my mouth. I'm like, uh-oh, there's a problem here. I'm preaching one thing. I'm preaching about expectation. I'm like, oh, what just happened? And I watched the room shift as disappointment came out, and it rose up, and it was huge. And again, I know it sounds melodramatic, forgive me, but I could, I could feel the hurting souls in this room. It, it was a shift last Sunday. I thought, what just happened? The place that I believe it leaves us is what I arrived at last week. Misplaced distrust. I want to I hit on that this morning because when our trust is based on the response that it receives, we're going to be frustrated. Oh, I trust you to do it my way. Oh, I totally trust you. Cut it like this. Right? I want you to do this. I totally trust you. Whatever you're going to do, but make sure it's my way. This is, this is your last note right here. When trusting God depends on tangible reassurance, it's bogus trust. That is bogus. That is not, that's not trust. Well, I trust you, but I'm just going to need to see what you're going to do first. I trust you. I trust you completely. Just show me first. Show me how it's all going to turn out first. And, and I totally trust you. Do, do you hear that? I hear myself saying things like that. Most people think of distrust and mistrust as synonymous. And trust me, they're not. <laughs> there is a difference between the two. The, both of them clearly mean to have doubt, a suspicion, a lack of trust, right? But distrust is based on experience, while mistrust is this general sense of unease. Someone would say, you know, I distrust that person because they've lied before. So I have an experience with that person. You know, mistrust is that is a sense. You know, you're driving through a neighborhood and you're like, I don't think we should be in this neighborhood. See, like, do you feel like we, we just we're, we're pulled off the freeway to try to take a shortcut because that's what Waze told us to do. And, <laughs> Anybody ever done that one? Like, what, where are they taking me? And so I get into the neighborhood. I'm like, I shouldn't be in this neighborhood. Why am I in this neighborhood? Right? There's, there's, listen, there's a mistrust. There's a sense inside. Distrust comes when, you know, the last four times I drove through this neighborhood, they threw rocks at my car. Experience. That's distrust. Mistrust is, there's just something not right. I, I can't put my finger on it. Sometimes we mistrust ourselves. You know, I don't trust myself. It's like, I'm just not sure if I have what it takes to get this job done. I, I'm, I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just, I'm not, I'm not sure. Distrust has this, this shade of experience. And the reason I say that distrust has been misplaced is because I'm here to challenge you that I don't think it's God who let us down. I, genu I genuinely don't believe that it's God who's let us down. 
John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to us, and he says this in verse 1. He says, you believe in God. You trust in God. Now I need you to trust me. I know you've put your faith in God. Now I want you to put your faith in me. You believe in him. Believe in me. Trust in him. Trust in me. Right? Faith. He's asking, can you do this? I don't know. Because, you know, I've, I've had those situations where, you know, you trusted God and then, right, you trust, I'm trusting you, Lord. But, but I, the thing that was supposed to happen didn't happen, and then I blame God for it happening, but really this person was responsible for it not happening. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And so then I ask this, I go, but why didn't God make that person do this or that? Because he can. God could have made this person do what I wanted him to do. Here's the answer. The reason he didn't make that person do that is the exact same reason he doesn't make you do this or that. You have been given free will. You get to choose. You get, you get to choose. And sometimes we choose addiction and alcohol and pornography. And sometimes we choose adultery and selfishness and self-rule. And sometimes the terror of randomness chooses us. You ever been caught by the terror of randomness? Where the mom and her six kids are in the car and they're coming around the corner and a tire blows out and she goes off the embankment and she and five of her kids die but one of them stays alive because they went into the river and sunk. You're like, what? Why couldn't that have happened on the straightaway? I wish you could have just pulled over to the shoulder. Last year, a youth pastor in Washington was driving on his way to work. His wife is in the passenger seat. Their two-year-old is in a car seat. They're in a truck, cab of a truck, a little pickup truck. And they're on their way to work. And on their way to work, they're going under an underpass and a two-ton chunk of concrete fell off of the overpass and landed on the cab of their truck, killing all three of them instantaneously. That is the terror of randomness. And you go, you know, if I would have just not accelerated as fast as I did out of the, the last green light, that chunk of concrete would have landed on the hood of my car. Or if I would have just accelerated a little bit more, it would have landed in the bed of my truck. But it was... Wait, what? Somebody please explain to me. And here's what happens. Why would God do that? No, that was called decaying concrete did that. And the terror of randomness did that. And that's hard to deal with. Because, come on. You gotta be had I just stayed at the McDonald's playground for just a little bit longer, we would have had that blowout tire once we passed the curve. And I would... And, but it just happened right there and off the embankment into the lake. And I'm like, what? Why would God do that? Those accidents, those diseases, those destructions, and yes, even death. They come. It happens. The randomness. It's, it's, that's truly terror. But God says, hey, do you trust me? No. Not when that happens. That's not okay. And here's what's happened to me. Here, there's a tough one. And, and I've heard these stories. And, I, and, and I've heard the stories where God stirs in the miraculous. 
You ever watched a miracle happen? A miracle is when God invades the physical that we live in and he kind of tweaks things. You're like, whoa, what just happened, right? I, I, was, I was called, I was called here at the church and somebody said, hey, would you come pray for this woman? She's a friend of mine and her, her son just got these, this really bad uh, medical diagnosis to come pray for her. And I'm like, okay. So I show up because that's what a pastor does, right? I'm gonna go pray for this. I didn't have, I didn't have a gift of faith. I wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm man of God in the house. Here we come, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was like, okay, I'll go pray for these people, you know? And so I get there, and she goes, look, Pastor. And she's crying. Look at, look at these, these x-rays. Look at these. And, and she shows me an x-ray of this little baby, two years old. Little baby, her, the skull has got just tumors all over. Some are pressing on this little boy's eyes so he can't see. It's pressing on his voice box. He can't speak. Pressing, uh, there's so many tumors in his head. And then the second x-ray is a tumor of, or, or uh, an x-ray of his, of his trunk, the chest cavity. And there's tumors all over his lungs and around his heart. And the doctor's like, there's no way we can address this. Two years old. And, and I'm like, ooh. So being the man of faith, no, listen, being a man of duty, I went in Jesus' name, Father, I don't understand what's happening here. Wow, this is huge. I just pray for healing for this baby. For, forgive me, because it happens. I pray for healing for this baby, although I doubt it's going to happen. I, I didn't say it, but I did think it. Did you ever think those thoughts? Can I, can I it's okay, I'm just kind of going there, Okay. But I'm like, but I'm praying, God, do something, because, man, this woman is tore up. This little boy is just like, wow. That's so why I prayed. Nothing happened. It was cool. It was all right, all right. That's the end of that, you know. Two weeks later, the woman calls me, screaming. I'm like, oh, the baby died. You got to come over. You got to come over. She has two new x-rays with no tumors. And I'm like, wait, What? Wait, what? And I'm like, come on. And so I'm looking, I'm like, get out of here. And she's got the old ones and the new ones. And the doctors are like, we can't explain that. We don't know what happened. What happened? Yeah. Uh, whoa, I don't know what to tell you. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. But I, but I really did. It's when God reaches into our physical world and goes, what? I don't know why. But he just tweaks our world. And it happens. But what we've got to get to is the place where we say, you know what, I don't know what you're going to do, but your will and not mine be done. I want whatever your purpose is, whatever you're trying to accomplish in me, whatever you're trying to grow me with, whatever you're trying to mature me with, I'm into. And the best way, the best way to know if you can trust someone is to trust them. And that's hard. That's much too risky. It's dangerous for some of us. So on the back of these notes, I told you we were going to need these. In your, in your app, I wrote down some thoughts on whether we could trust someone. Can I trust this person? So here's seven thoughts about whether you should trust somebody or not. Are they reliable? Are they competent? Are they predictable? Are they consistent? Are, how, what's their communication like? What's your relationship like with them? Do you think they'll support you when the time comes? These are, these are things about whether we should trust someone. Now here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you three, please, please throw God against those seven things and ask yourself, is God reliable? Is God competent? Is he predictable? Is he consistent? Is, what's God's communication to us? What's our relationship with? Will he support us when the time comes? Just go ahead, throw him against it. 
I believe that what we will find is that we've been let down by a lot of people, but we like to blame God for it. And that's why I'm calling this misplaced distrust. Because you can go ahead and throw people against the same pattern here. Go ahead and throw the husband, the wife, the son, the daughter, the boss, the ex. I don't know who you're going to throw against that. But you go ahead, throw people against that. Hey, here's one. Throw yourself against that. Uh, Yeah, I'm not consistent. Nope. Uh, communication, suck at that one. Um, predictability, yeah, that's not going to happen here. See, I throw myself here, I'm like, why does anybody trust me? <laughs> but, but I look at this, I go, God, reliable. God, competent. Do you think God knows what's going on? You, you think God is predictable? He's told us how he functions. You may not know. My ways are higher than your ways. Yeah, that's probably why I don't understand it. Father, we have these things that we're dealing with, and and I'm asking that as as we deal with them, as we wrestle with them, would you come alongside and comfort your people? Holy Spirit, comfort your people as we consider these things, as we consider your role in our lives, as we consider where we have placed distrust based on our experiences. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus that as we sing these songs, it would be a choice. We, we get to choose. Here's the choice. Here's our free will. Here it comes. We get to choose whether to sing these songs in faith or choose not to sing them in disappointment, in distrust. I won't sing this song because I cannot trust God. And so, Father, I choose today to sing these songs in spite of my situations, in spite of my circumstances. And I pray with many of my friends here this morning as we consider these songs as an expression of you believe in God, now believe in me. You trust in God, now trust in me. You put your faith in God, now put your faith in me. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Let it be done.